Amen. Our scripture for this morning comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 20. I read from the New Revised Standard Version updated. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power, so that you may have all endurance, patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might, have, might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you, O Lord, because we know that you're going to speak to us this morning through it. We ask, O Lord, that you'll open our mind and our understanding and our hearts to receive it, that we will learn something from it that we can apply to our lives. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul is writing in our scripture today to the church of Colossia because he had gotten word about their ministry from his co-worker Epaphras. He had heard about their faith. He tells them that he has heard about their ministry and their love for the saints. He tells them that basically he wants to pray for them because he has heard of what things they have been going through. One of the things that I like about Paul in his letters to the churches is that when he prayed for them, he didn't pray in generalities. He prayed specifically for what he felt those churches needed. So when he writes these letters and we read what he's praying for the churches, we get a pretty good sense of the kind of things that they're struggling with. Paul really believed in targeted prayer. He believed in praying exactly for those areas in which we were low so we could be brought up. He believed in praying for the needs of the church and the church leadership as they faced challenges in ministry. And this is clearly evident in our scripture today. You see, Paul had heard that there were people in Colossia who were worshiping angels, people who were diminishing the stature of Christ, 
as the Savior of the world and the Son of God. People being led astray by all kinds of philosophies. And, and he, he basically was, was trying to address the issue that some people were taking Judaism and Christianity and pagan beliefs and practices, and they were kind of just meshing them together into kind of their own form of belief and religion. Thank goodness that that never happens nowadays. We don't mix any of new, new stuff into the old stuff. But basically, this is what's going on. There, there's, and and if, you, if you read the, the commentaries on the book of Colossians, to the Colossians, um, you find that they describe this as the Colossian heresy, but everybody doesn't agree on what it was because there were so many different components and things that Paul is addressing throughout his letter. But when Paul writes in the section that we have read today, he prays specifically for them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He prays for that because he, he understands that what they need is revelation from God. What they need is an intervention from God to help them to be able to sort through the things that they are receiving. And, you know, there's a lesson here for us. Whenever we're hearing the word of God or anybody teach or preach or proclaim uh, something from the Lord, we need to put that against what we already know and has been revealed in our scriptures, what we already know and has been revealed by the Lord to us. He was saying, I want the Lord to give you a wisdom and understanding for the things that you are hearing so that you can sort through it and make sense of it and know what really is from the Lord and what really is good. And he says, and there's a purpose for this prayer. I'm praying this because I want you to be able to walk in a way that is worthy of your calling in the Lord. And you see, the beginning of that is wisdom. The beginning of being able to walk adequately before God is having wisdom from God, is having understanding of his will, is having understanding of what is pleasing and acceptable to him so that we can do it. If you don't know what it is, how can you do it? How can you achieve it? How can you search for it? He says, and if you do this, if you search for God's wisdom, if you receive God's wisdom and understanding, then not only will you be able to walk in a way worthy of your calling, you will be able to bear fruit in every good work and continue to grow in the knowledge of God. So as we see here, Paul is basically giving us a recipe for the Christian life. He's saying you begin by seeking wisdom and then you begin by applying that wisdom to your life. And as you apply that wisdom to your life, you see fruitfulness for the kingdom of God. As Christians, we should be able to follow that recipe, but sometimes we get distracted to the left and to the right with other things and don't follow that. Some people actually believe that they get to the point where they know enough about God that they're done that they've arrived, that they understand enough about God and Jesus and the kingdom of God and they don't need to learn anything else. Well, if you've worked in any profession, you know something called continued education, right? Every year, you got to go learn something or review something that you learned before 
and polish up and get some new skills and be able to prepare yourself for what comes ahead. And you don't do this one year. You do this when? Every single year. Every single year. And unfortunately, there's people that don't believe in continued education. When computers became a thing, there was people that refused to learn the computer systems because they were going to keep doing it on paper. There's people that refused to adapt to the changing times. And you know what happened to those people? They got left behind a lot of times because everything changed and they weren't keeping up. When it comes to Christianity, continued education is not an option. It's a requirement. We need to every day be seeking to know more about God, more about Jesus, and understand more about his will and purpose and plan for our lives. Paul was praying that the church in Colossia would understand this need, that they would understand that you don't arrive at a place where you don't need to know more about God, that you never arrive to a place where you have enough Jesus, that there's always more Jesus you can get in your life. That there's never a time in which you've studied the word of God enough that you don't have to study it anymore or ever go into it again. Paul, however, is not praying that they will have this knowledge just so that they can go around to others and brag about their knowledge and understanding. You see, one of the issues that was going on in Colossia as well was that people were trying to be very spiritual by doing certain practices, religious rituals, even going into ascetic practices where they wouldn't eat oil, wine, and meat to show just how religious and devoted they were. Now, if you know the Mosaic law, this is even more extreme than the Mosaic law. This is even more severe than even the Jews practice in their rules. But the people in Colossia were doing this because they, they wanted to show just how spiritual they were. And Paul is basically writing against that. He says, I want God to grant you wisdom so that you'll see how foolish this is. I want God to grant you wisdom so that you understand that through Jesus Christ, you have received the gift that can't be earned or deserved through your ascetic practices. I want you to obtain that wisdom and understanding so that you understand that spirituality is not something that you brag about and that if you're bragging about it, you don't have it. I mean, he really wanted them to humble themselves, but not to denigrate themselves to make themselves seem more spiritual. He says, when we draw closer to Jesus... We do it so that we can appreciate everything that Jesus has brought for us. So that we can be in communion and relationship with him as God intended. And that growth and nearness to Christ leads us to fruitfulness in our lives. Because we begin to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. And if you're walking in those footsteps, you can't help but be fruitful. Because you're sharing God's love and grace with others. In his prayer, Paul turns to praying for them uh, to be made strong. He prays that they will be made strong with the strength that comes from God and from God's glorious power. Now, this is important because he's saying, I don't want your strength to come from your practices. 
I don't want your strength to come from your discipline. I don't want your strength to come from your study. I want your strength to come from God. I want God to be your source of strength. When we seek the strength of God, and we don't depend on our own strength, Paul says we can endure many things, and we can live with patience, joyfully giving thanks to God for all things. But when we try to do it on our own, we find that our strength is never enough. Our strength always falls short. Our strength always leaves us lacking because it depends on us and not on God. Paul wanted the church to remember that they were heirs of the kingdom of God and that in that kingdom, our strength comes from the Father. The prayer of Paul also reveals to us that Paul has great concerns about some of these things that they were doing in terms of worshiping angels. You see, this belief had come to pass because people had such a view of God that he was so great and so amazing and so awesome that they couldn't approach God. They felt like God was way out there and they couldn't get near God. And so they said, well, well, we'll worship angels and the angels will convey to God our worship and we'll go through them. And they had gotten to the point where people were not even trying to connect directly to God. They were trying to connect to angels. They were trying to connect to deities. They were trying to seek that as a way of developing their faith. And through this belief, Paul basically says they had forgotten all that Jesus came to do. Because you see, Jesus came to be Emmanuel, God with us, so that we wouldn't need an intermediary between us and God. We wouldn't need somebody to be a go-between between between us and the Father. The scripture, in fact, tells us that to know the Son is to know the Father, and to know the Father is to know the Son. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so they didn't need somebody to stand between them and God the Father. In verses 15 through 20, Paul states 12 ways that Christ is superior to all things, including angels. He goes through this list, and I want to go through it very quickly because there, there's so much here. And it really goes with the illustration that I was giving the kids about containing all things. He's basically saying, Jesus is everything you need. He says, he is the image of the invisible God. You can't see God the Father, but if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. He says, he's the firstborn of all creation. He was here before everything was made, and this is an affirmation of him being God and not just some created being, not something that came into existence in Bethlehem, but rather part of the Godhead. He is the one by whom all things were created. He wasn't just sitting there at creation. He was actively engaged in bringing everything into existence. He is the word made flesh that dwelt among us. And through the word, all things came into being. He is the one who is before all things. Again, he existed before angels, before principalities, before everything came into existence. So in terms of, of order, he was before all things. 
and he's always existed. He is the one who held and holds all things together. And I really like this one because I call him the cosmic glue. He holds all things together in himself. Without Jesus, this world would not exist. The visible and the invisible would all collapse because it is all held in him. He is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the one who directs the church through the Holy Spirit, through his instruction, through his life, through what we have in Scripture about how he lived and died and was raised for us. So he is the head of the body, the church, which Paul basically is saying, it's not any of these people that are coming in to teach you other things. You should be looking to Christ for direction. He is the one that directs the work and the direction of the church. And then he said, he is the beginning, and I would add the end, because he is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. He is God. This was also a declaration of his divinity. Jesus has been from the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead. Paul writes about this quite a lot because he explains that our hope for eternal life is rooted in the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead and defeated death after three days of being in the tomb. If it wasn't for the resurrection of Jesus, we would have no hope of being raised. It is because he defeated death that we can hope that one day we will be raised with him. He is the one who has preeminence. Eminence means superiority means the greatest of all. And in kids' language, the bestest of the best. He is indeed preeminent. He deserves all importance, all honor, all exaltation, all glory, all praise, all gifts. Anything we can say good belongs to him. He is the first and the greatest, the all in all. And he is the one in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In saying this, Paul was affirming that Jesus was God, that he wasn't just another leader, another prophet, another teacher. He was God in the flesh. And he is the one through whom God chose to reconcile all things. You know, if it wasn't for Jesus, there would still be a chasm between us and God the Father that none of us could bridge. Can you imagine having God on one side and us on the other and having no way to cross and having the agony of seeing the majesty and the glory of God on the other side and not being able to reach it? That is how we were before Jesus came. Nothing could bridge the gap. No good deed that we did Nothing that we gave up, nothing that we offered would have been enough to bridge that chasm. Jesus had to come to reconcile all things to God the Father, to bring humanity and himself together. And we've all seen that picture of, of the chasm and then the cross laying over the chasm, right, for people to walk over. It is through the blood of the cross that Jesus made peace for us. 
Only the perfect sacrifice could do it. And Jesus was the only one that could carry all of our sin to the cross and forgive it once and for all. So why does Paul go to these great lengths to share with the Colossians all of these facts about Jesus? Because he wants them to understand the supremacy of Christ. He wants them to understand that they don't need angels to get closer to God. That they don't need other things to get closer to God. That they don't need specific religious practices to get closer to God. That what they need is Jesus and him alone. That if they have Jesus, they have what they need. The other issue that Colossians were struggling with was this idea of this ascetic life that people wanted others to engage in. As I said, it was stricter even than the Jewish law. But I want you to understand the thinking behind it for the Colossian church. There was people there saying, we don't deserve salvation. We are bad. We're evil. And we need to punish our flesh. We need to subject ourselves to this, this rigorous thing so that we can earn and deserve that salvation that has been given to us. And Paul basically is trying to remind them that salvation comes through faith and grace in Jesus Christ. That there's nothing you can do to earn or deserve it. Paul has in mind that they need to understand that this is a gift. And boy, we have a hard time accepting a free gift. We just have a hard time accepting that God could love us even with all of our frailty. And Paul wanted them to understand the victory's already been won. You don't have to go punish yourself to win the victory. God has already done it in Jesus Christ. I just want you to have the full knowledge of him. I want you to have everything that Jesus has given for you. Paul is really writing about these errant beliefs because he knows that if the church comes to the full knowledge of Christ, they will understand that Jesus is always enough. That Jesus is sufficient. And the way I compare it is to the multi-tool. How many of us have bought multi-tools? Those, you know, everybody loves the Swiss Army knife, and they've come up with some for the military that are ridiculous. I mean, you pull it open, and it's got this, and it's got that, and screwdriver, and I don't know why, but they always have a corkscrew opener, like you're going to pop some champagne in war. Um, and a little scissor and all kinds of... It's a multi-tool, right? It has all of these things all in one. And what, what Paul is saying, look, Jesus is your multi-tool. He comes to give you grace. If you need grace, come to Jesus. If you need forgiveness, come to Jesus. If you need strength, come to Jesus. If you need someone who will understand what you're going through, come to Jesus. If you need somebody to restore you or heal you, Come to Jesus. If you need somebody who can turn your life around, come to Jesus. We look for answers in so many places, in books, in instructional manuals, in seminars, in tech talks, in TV, in all kinds of places. We even look for them in other people. And the answers are to be found only in Jesus. He is all in all. He is what we need. When we need new life, only Jesus will satisfy. When we need blessing, only Jesus can provide. 
When we need wisdom, we need Jesus' wisdom and not the worldly wisdom that others are sharing. Paul writes this to the church with a heavy heart because what he wants for them is that they will continue to be able to be fruitful for the kingdom of God as they grow in their understanding of God. He wants them to understand that they have been transferred from the kingdom and the power of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son and the light. And that when you are transferred, you can't keep one foot there and one foot here. That means that you have been completely removed from that darkness and brought into the light. And there's just no better place to be than in the kingdom of God. There's no better place to be than in his will. There's no better place to be than in a relationship with Jesus. There's no better place to be than following the footsteps of Jesus. He says, angels and principalities can't do it for you. Learning can't do it for you. Religious practices can't do it for you. It is only Jesus. So as he comes to the end of this, he just continues to pray for them. He says, I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to continue to keep you in my prayers so that the God of all wisdom will continue to give you his wisdom so that you may lead your lives in ways worthy of your calling. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the call to accept that Jesus is enough, that Jesus is all that we need, that all that Jesus offers is enough for whatever need we are experiencing in our lives. We ask, O oh Lord, that you will help us to continue to turn to Jesus for everything in our lives, for every decision, for every need, for every care, for every concern, for every issue that we face. Help us to remember that it's all about you and it's all about Jesus. Lord, we just ask that today you will draw us closer to yourself, that you will give us your wisdom, and that you will help us to just follow you wherever you lead us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. The altar is always open if you want to come up for prayer as we worship together.